defense. Got the defense. Yeah, the other team no hope. This and all this. This and all Gonna hold the rope. This and all Miami had the same uh, fight song, same song. Miami, Miami Dolphins, Dolphins had the same. I'm Wade Phillips. And I'm Wes Phillips. We're past and present coaches here to bring you an insider's perspective on the teams, the people, and the personalities that we've encountered over time. All right. On today's show, we're, uh, we're going back like we have, talking about specific specific moments in time specific teams that you or i have worked worked for in the past and uh this episode talking about the houston oilers the the love you blue era i know uh i know that time still holds kind of a special special place in in your mind and your heart and and a lot of people i mean a lot of people in houston you know they still talk about for one thing there's no oilers anymore and then that era was uh you know the best that really any Houston team's ever done. No no question. Uh, one thing I, I thought was interesting, it's kind of the Love You Blue. Everyone remembers Love You Blue, but uh, when, I was, when I was doing a little uh, searching about just the Oilers at that time, it really wasn't until 1979 that they actually had the signs that said Love You Blue, where, where that really came out. Do you, do, you remember, do you remember that at all? I think our PR guy came up with the idea, always looking for something, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's around that time for sure. Well, what really got fans going, I think, at least at least from my uh, research, and and you could you correct me if I'm wrong, but that 1978 Monday night game against the Dolphins, that some people still say is the best Monday night game of all time, where Earl Campbell rushed for four touchdowns and 199 yards, and just. The place was rocking, and and yeah, and Bob Greasy was the quarterback, and Don Shula was the coach. I mean, they were a legitimate team, obviously, a really good team, and it was a Monday night game, and Earl uh, had one of the greatest games ever, and the last touchdown was 70, 71 yards, I think, to go one hundred ninety nine yards. But we needed a first down to win the game. They said, Earl, we got to have a first down, which is thirty fifth carry of the game. He went 79 yards, for, 71 yards for a touchdown, and uh, the whole place just exploded. And uh, of course, Howard Carcel back in then, those days were doing Monday Night Football. And, but and you had to praise that game because it was going back and forth. Because Greasy was, like I say, was a really good player, and the Dolphins had a really good team. Uh, but this is the first time really people had seen the Oilers with a good team. That's that's one thing about Earl. Of course, we all have the memories of all the great highlights of his where he's running guys over. But Earl had speed when he got he in the out, open field. Yeah, he outran everybody. After he ran through the line, it was, took a toss. 
took a pitch and uh, and ran outside with it. And then once he got in the open, nobody could catch him. So uh, he did have speed. I mean, I think I don't know if he gets enough credit for that. He should get plenty of credit. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame and one of the greatest ever. So, <laughs> but he could run fast too. Well, you mentioned he took a toss. Uh, I know that uh, you've mentioned before that maybe some of the coaches, every time you guys called an actual toss to Earl, were were maybe a, l- a little cr- cringing just to make sure that he caught it before he before he started running. Oh, he'll tell you that. I mean, he'd have great hands. He and now he would in practice. He'd always go out and want to catch punts, and they'd hit him in the face and all that stuff. I mean, we had fun with that. He had fun with that. And, and actually, they called it the, the veer play, which wasn't a veer play, but uh, they would hand the ball to him in the backfield like an off-tackle play, but he was really going outside. And so he'd veer to the outside uh, and crack back with the receiver and, and get outside, uh, to get outside most of the time. But as I remember the play, I'm pretty sure it was a pitch. Yeah, I, I do remember that as well. You know, obviously at that uh, those years, I mean, you had Earl Campbell. You were gonna you were gonna run him. You know, when you see a guy like like Earl, a guy who just kind of laid it all on the line like he did, and uh, you know, maybe through all the wear and tear, you know, has a tough time getting around. I mean, does that? As a coach, I mean, does it does it make you pause at all, or? Oh, I think a little bit, certainly. I mean, you know, you you, you hope that everyone gets through without injuries and so forth, but it it does, you know, it does a lot of wear and tear on you, on your body, and especially on his. Uh, that's the way it works out. But I don't know if you ask him. I think he'd probably say it's worth it. Right. Interestingly enough, uh, a guy who's more famous certainly for his time in Washington. With the with Joe Gibbs and, and those offensive lines, but you guys had uh, Joe Bugle as was the was the old line coach there. I mean that was really where he kind of started to make a name for himself. At least uh, you know you guys had some great great running and and you were setting records in the past game as well. Yeah, Joe Bugles was a heck of an offensive line coach, and I think everybody knows that. I don't know if they put. They've never put assistant coaches in the Hall of Fame, but he he probably deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He had the offensive line with the Oilers, and of course he had the the Hogs. Yeah, the Hogs. I mean, everybody knew about them, and and he you know he went to Arizona as a head coach, and he's uh, he's a really good coach and a great coach and a great guy. And Bugs was really enthusiastic, man. I mean, he was he's one of those guys that pushed him hard, but he he's a real enthusiastic coach and. It's great to be around. Obviously, more of a more of a running running era at that time. Um, but I mean, when you think about offenses today and 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 then back then, and I mean, it's almost it's it's so impressive. I think when you see, especially at the quarterback position, a guy who's still kind of in the in the top grouping of all time of pass yards and those types of things. I mean, Dan Pastorini. The quarterback for you you know, got Stabler there uh, and traded quarterbacks with uh, with the Raiders. His career high was 2,473 yards. The game has changed oh, yeah. quite a bit since then. <clears throat> yeah, but when you have when you have a running back that's making 1,400, 1,500, 1,800 yards, you know you still have some offense. And the great thing about Earl was the four-minute offense at the end of the game. You get the ball at the end of the game and you're ahead, the four-minute offense, and they got to stop you. They couldn't. We won a lot of games where – a lot of close games 
uh, if we were ahead with four minutes, we just gave him the ball, gave him the ball, gave him the ball, and made a first down, you know, and kept kept the ball. The other team didn't get the ball and then walked off the field, and the game was over. Hmm. Well, one of the greats of all time, uh, no question. Uh, but I wanted to, to ask you about the uh, the playoff game where you, where you guys were playing – Playing the Chargers, uh, you didn't have Pastorini. You, you didn't have Earl Campbell. Uh, I think you didn't have Kenny Burrow either as, right. as well in that game. And, and you guys were playing, you know, the Dan Fouts, uh, Don Coriel, Charlie Joyner, Chargers uh, shorthanded in the, uh, I believe it was the divisional, divisional round. Right, and, and, and San Diego. We were yeah. playing there. Uh, I remember a lot of things about that game, but uh, one of them was, the night before the game, I went in uh, see my dad, you know, in the hotel room. He said, uh, "He said, you know, we're going to win this game." And I went, "Well, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, you've got to believe you're going to win the game." And he said, "No." He said, "You know why?" And I said, "Well, I mean, we're going to play good, you know." He said, "No." He said, "Take a look at this paper," and he said, he showed me the San Diego Union, I think it is, paper, and he said, just read all the articles here. He said, nothing, they say nothing about us. They say Super Bowl, this is a stepping stone, all this stuff. He said, you know, you're going to get your ass beat if you're not if you're not ready for the team you're playing. And he said, we're going to go out and beat them. And I said, okay, I agree with that, you know. <laughs> and sure enough, we did. Because, you know, I mean, yeah, you think you're going to win, but that's, that's how he saw it. And I think he was right in a lot of ways, you know. I'm not sure they were ready to play against us. Now, that team, the Chargers, actually had, had beaten the Steelers and the Rams that season, beat both of them by 20 points, both teams. And that's who played in the Super Bowl that year. We were big underdogs. I mean, I don't know these days. I don't know point spreads and all that in those days, but, but we had to be over 20-point underdogs in the game. Now, Vernon Perry, our defensive back, had the greatest game in the – you know, I had Von Miller and I had some great players and Von Miller was the MVP of the Super Bowl. But uh, Vernon Perry, our defensive back, had the greatest playoff game of any play, in my opinion, of any player that ever played. He had four interceptions in that game and he blocked a field goal and picked it up and ran it all the way back to the, I think, the 10-yard line. And we beat him 10-7. to Wow. Yeah. <laughs> or 13-7. Yeah, I checked the score, but I mean, it was... Gifford Nielsen was our backup quarterback who played in the game, and a guy named Rob Carpenter was Earl's backup, was a really good player and ended up playing with the Giants. And um, Of course, his son Bobby Carpenter played in the league too. But, but Rob was a really good running back and had, uh, had a really good game in that, in that game because we, you know, we had to run the ball. And then the other part was after the game, our uh, defensive coordinator, Eddie Biles, uh, told Sports Illustrated people that we had their signals. And it was a big article in Sports Illustrated that we we had gotten their signals, which we had to signal at that time. I mean, you didn't have the communi- communication you have now with helmet to helmet uh, or helmet to coach. But actually what happened in that game was, and later on they found out, but uh, Dan Fouts, because they were a passing team, I mean, they had a great they had a great they had a number one offense. They had a great team, great offensive team. And uh, but Fouts, uh, when when he was under the center, which they were under center all the time, 
when he was under center and in a square stance, his feet were squared, it was going to be a run play. And when he staggered his stance, when he put his right foot back, he he was going to drop back pass. Yeah, back out too. Yeah, that, that was, his, his, yeah, that's that was the way he did thing, it. Yeah. So, so we had a you know we had a call on defense that you know tried to help our players say it's going to be run or pass. So that did help us, I believe. Although I talked to Andy Dor- Doris, our defensive lineman, after the game, you know, and of course I'm coming down out of the press box and it's just bedlam in the in the dressing room and we're hugging each other and so forth and. And I said, Andy, Andy, man, did that really help you, you know, calling run or pass? And he said, hell no, coach. He said, I knew they were going to pass it all the time anyway. He <laughs> said, I just rushed the passer. I said, which, which a lot of that was true. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, that was, a, that was a, one of the greatest victories I've ever been around because we didn't have our star players, number one. We were on the road, and then it was a tremendous upset. I mean, and Vernon Perry, I mean, like I said, uh, Vernon, uh, I, I think if they look at it, they're going to say that it had to be one of the greatest games ever of a defensive player. Well, certainly the old Charger fans haven't forgotten. I mean, when I was just, just looking looking up some things about that game, I mean, I, I came across an article that, I mean, it was written, I don't know, maybe five years ago that, said you know still one of the most heartbreaking losses ever you know because they had such high hopes but but it's like you say particularly in this league if uh if you overlook your opponent then then you're going to get beat yeah and uh, don Coriel obviously was a great coach and a great innovator offensively and Fouts was one of the greatest quarterbacks ever and they had they had yeah they had charlie who played receiver plus their other receivers really good too uh winslow was was their tight end mm-hmm and they they had beaten some teams that they ended up playing in the Super Bowl. Well, that that win propelled you guys to the AFC Championship game, and that was when you went to Pittsburgh. Right. And that was also lost the game twenty seven thirteen. But when it was a seventeen ten game, you guys were at the six yard line. You you throw a pass to the back of the end zone to to Mike Renfro and. Uh, incomplete but uh you know as we all know watching the replay and as you know in the box because i mean there's old footage old nfl (laughs) footage of you in the box kind of going crazy up there yeah you couldn't say that kind of stuff on tv until lately i guess because they they uh they had it recorded up there i didn't know they did at the time but i was obviously mad because he caught it and and we did have a tv in the in the box you know and they showed the replay on TV, and he caught it, and he was in bounds, and and it was a delay. Now it wasn't like they just said incomplete. They didn't say anything. The officials all huddled together, and then all of a sudden they came out and said incomplete, and that's when I went went off. <laughs> so, <laughs> son of a whatever. But uh, I, I wasn't happy about it, and uh, yeah, we settled for a field goal there, and then. Didn't end up winning the game, obviously. Of course, that that play has been kind of immortalized as 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 the play that led to instant replay. Right, because everybody on TV could see it. Like I said, I mean, it was obvious when you did the replay that he, and and that was part of it. It was such a great catch. Now, I mean, it was thrown. I don't think anybody thought that he was going to be able to catch the ball. They thought it was going to be out of the end zone, and uh, and Mike was a. Uh, 
Uh, Mike was a really good receiver and then made a great catch and kept his feet in the whole deal. Do you think, it's completely theoretical, but uh, you score that touchdown, you kick the extra point, and now you're tied 17-17 with that momentum. Would you guys have... Uh... Well, I mean, I, I can say that, but... <laughs> Uh, but Pittsburgh won four Super Bowls during that era. So, I mean, they, they were obviously a great, great team. And uh, now we had beaten them during the year. I mean, we played, we're in the same division. We beat them uh, at home, and then they beat us at home, at their home. And then we played the championship game there. Uh, so, you know, it, it would have been better if we had a better record and played them at home. And it gives a better chance. If you would have scored, I mean, how, how how much do you put into throughout your career just momentum? Uh, I think psychologically, I mean, that's why a home team uh, a lot of times has advantage. When you make a play, it, it's not that you're going to make a play, but when you make a play, you get so much reinforcement. I think it affects your, your team. And if you're the other team, you, you sometimes can get your head down when the other team makes a play so I think I think momentum has a lot to do with it and just you know it's psychological too I mean it's not just a rock them sock them run into each other you know every play game it's it's still a lot of psychological stuff happens and and we see it throughout I mean the momentum changed I mean you see it say wow they're coming back and they're now sometimes they don't always get back but a lot of times you can tell Team's got the momentum and, and coming back. Guys are more confident. And, you know, when you're having a lull, I know on offense, it's, it's just, it's really like just somebody's got to make a play, you know, yeah. just to get that, get it changed, get the, the feeling changed and, and, and get on the right track. Yeah. Oh, I was going to mention too. The one thing about that game, though, was the first quarter, Vernon Perry intercepted the pass and ran for a touchdown. And I went, oh my gosh, he's going to do it again. I mean, he, this is on Terry Bradshaw. He, it was about seventy yard touchdown. One of our scores was that. Uh, the, the one thing that Bum said after that game uh, about the the Renfro play was, it's, it's one of those things that you swallow and go on. I learned a long time ago: cry a little, but not in public. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're still crying about it. I think it's uh, the old Oiler fans. But, uh, but uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. And it did start instant replay or people talking about instant replay, which which I think has been good for the game because that way you don't get at least those plays. You can bring them back or, or award what, what, was, what was deserving. Well, I, I can't imagine the game without it now. Well, and just, just the, the rivalry in general, you know, Pittsburgh and Houston, I mean, the, the, there was so much of a kind of a mutual respect. But then again, Pittsburgh were, was the one winning the, the playoff games and going to the Super Bowl and that kind of thing uh, might have been a little easier for them. Uh, was, there, was there ever any criticism of kind of how it seemed like, you know, both sides, but it, was there any criticism from your end, the Oilers? that? No, actually, the, the first year... Uh, that they went to the Super Bowl and won it, we beat Cincinnati in the last game of the season. And that put Pittsburgh in the playoffs. Uh, and then they won the Super Bowl. Well, I, I don't know if they had something with Samsonite or whatever. I mean, I think they did commercials or something. But anyway, they sent us, I'm talking about the coaches and the players, they sent us briefcases, from Samsonite briefcases, you know, after we beat Cincinnati. And then that paved the way for them to win the Super Bowl. So... Uh, you know, it was kind of nice. I mean, you know, and then like I said, uh, 
every year we played them, I mean, we split. I mean, we we played them home and away, obviously, and and we beat them. We beat them in Houston. They beat us in Pittsburgh. And then for the two AFC Championship games, obviously they won the championship and won two more Super Bowls that way. Mm. Well, what a what a great team. I mean, when you look at all all of the Hall of Famers on that one team, I mean, it's 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 pretty amazing. But just the whole time there in Houston, I mean, that era, just such a unique time. I, mean, I can't, I can't even imagine nowadays that anything like that could happen, where all your players are, you know, wearing cowboy boots and yeah. cowboy hats and belt buckles and listening to country music. I mean, they're they're all going to to Gillies, the the honky tonk, you know, going to Gillies. Yeah, I don't think all of them were doing that. They were wearing boots and hats and. It was a Western kind of sweep in the nation, Western, and there wasn't any more Western than Bum Phillips, you know, because he wore a hat and a cowboy boots on the sideline and right. a belt buckle. So the players started getting into it, and, yeah, it just became a, a, a phase. Did he ever have any problems avoiding any players coming off the sideline wearing those boots? Avoiding the players? Yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes, like, I got run over last oh, yeah. year. Oh, I've been run over, too. I mean, I, and I have, I have Nikes on. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think so. No, I don't remember him ever getting run into on the sideline. But, I mean, players were, some of them, learning how to ride, going to going and oh, yeah. riding bums horses. It's just everyone kind of just took to this whole, this whole movement. Uh, right, yeah, they did. And uh, it was a lot of fun, obviously, but the the city had certainly clung to the the team itself, and and we're, we're excited about the team and and what we were doing. Were you and mom going to Gillies back then, like like <laughs> Urban Cowboy? Were you? Uh, uh, no, I don't think we went to Gillies, but we we wore our hats and our boots and stuff. And mom had a blue, uh, you know, a blue hat, light blue hat. The blue, like the love you blue. Yeah, the love you blue colors there was a you know great characters on on those teams you know i mentioned pastorini i mean billy white shoes johnson carl mock uh, i mean just so many on top of the all the great players like yeah. earl you know but, but yeah and elvin and curly and, and robert, robert brazil, brazil I and mean, yeah but i mean you know you had billy white shoes you know return a punt and 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 one he was one of the first to ever do the end zone celebrations i mean he's doing backflips and yeah he yeah he did the whatever it was wiggle your legs but uh, <laughs> yeah he was one of the first ones to do that might have been the first one i don't know uh but he wore white shoes you know and that was different yeah i, I mean people punted the ball out of bounds he was a great great returner i mean they, they punted the ball out of bounds to keep him from running back and then one year we played in cleveland and it was the field was iced over, and we we wore what they call broom ball shoes. And I'm not even sure what broom ball is, but but it it's <laughs> people play it on ice. I'm assuming we wore broom ball shoes, and he ran a punt back, I think 81 yards to win the game. And that game, he was the only guy that could stand up. And I don't, it wasn't the shoes. He he just he had great balance anyway. But he ran through the whole team for an 81 yard touchdown. On, on an iced over field. The field was so iced over, I was in the press box and the press box window froze. You couldn't see because it iced over. Uh, but you could open it up, so I had to open it up. And I'm, I, this is top of 
Cleveland Stadium, and I had to open it up. Now the wind's blowing like crazy, and it's cold as heck. <laughs> froze my pens. You know, I was keeping track in the uh, first downs and what they were doing, you know, and so forth, and, and charting, charting them when I go down at halftime to, you know, tell tell the defense what, you know, what they're doing. And my pens froze, you know. So that was a cold day, but uh, we had Billy White shoes. Broomball shoes. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look up. <laughs> yeah. Look up that. Never heard. Never heard of that before. Eight eight return touchdowns in Billy White shoes' career, but drafted in the 15th round out of Widener College Division Three. I see so many of these. You look back in the old days when they had all these rounds, and a lot of these guys were taken in the. 12th, 13th, 14th rounds. Do you do you think there there ought to be more rounds still? I mean, are we are we missing out on some of these kind of? Well, I mean, I think he was a good player at Widener, but they just didn't have enough coverage in those days to to scout every player. There was no combine. You didn't bring them all together. You know, you didn't have enough scouts to scout Widener. Got at Penn State and Pittsburgh and teams up east. But but I'm sure not many people went to Widener. But just the number of rounds, you think, kind of made up for. The fact that you you couldn't locate, I mean, from each individual scouting department, you couldn't hit all the schools. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have that kind of staff uh, in those days. You have more today, but uh, there's still free agents that make it. It's still that same type guy is out there somehow, overlooked. Yeah, Elvin Bethay was, was, what, the ninth round we said. I mean, you know, we still get free agents now that, that end up being really good players. Well, that's the great thing about it is, you know, once you get on the grass, it really doesn't matter yeah. whether you're whether you're drafted or where you're drafted, uh, and and the rest of the players they see well, it. Well, and, and size was a problem too because Billy wasn't very big, and you they they weren't taking many small players. Uh, I mean, that was just the natural deal was hey, you know, you got to be big enough. Well, he disproved that. You didn't have to be, you know, you didn't have to be two hundred pounds. You'd be one hundred and seventy, one hundred seventy-five pounds. And still be effective and and do what he did real well. In fact, that uh, we were talking about Pittsburgh going to the Super that first Super Bowl where we beat Cincinnati the last game of the year. Billy Johnson ran a punt back and a kickoff back in that game against Cincinnati for touchdowns. Wow! Uh, I wanted to ask you about Pastorini, kind of a character. Uh, he was not a 14th round pick. He was third pick in the draft in 1971 uh, behind. Uh, there was a little run of quarterbacks there, Jim Plunkett and, and Archie Manning there. And Plunkett ended up being with him in the Raiders after he got, broke his leg when he was traded and, and took over and, and won the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, drag racing cars and, and posing in Playgirl and, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, he's on TV series. He's, he was in a movie with Lee Majors. Uh, what was it like? And, and still close close friend of our family over the years. I mean, oh, what, yeah. What, what, yeah. What, what was what was uh Yeah, Dan, Dan was free-spirited somewhat, but I think he could have played baseball. I mean, he, he really was a really good athlete. He could really throw the ball, throw the ball a mile. I mean, he had as good an arm as probably anybody these days, too. I mean, he could throw the long ball to Kenny Burrow. I mean, it was amazing. And he could throw the other passes, too. But, um, you know, coming out of Santa Clara College and – uh, or university, I guess, Santa Clara, and being the third guy picked in the draft, everybody noticed him, that's for sure. And then, yeah, he dated uh, Farrah Fawcett and yeah. ma- married to June Wilkinson, who was a playmate. So, I mean, yeah, he, he had yeah. very interesting 
And actually was a successful uh, like dragster, like part of the NHRA Winston drag uh, racing series in the mid 80s. I mean, he 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 won some national events as well. So just kind of an overall talented guy, an interesting guy who did a lot of a lot of different things. Um, You mentioned an athlete. You know, I did want to I did want to bring up uh, in my mind. I mean, we have a connection to, to this guy and and his family but maybe one of the greatest stories in my mind of of anyone who's ever had a career in the league and that's uh Guido Merkins. Guido Merkins, yeah. I mean so just to kind of set the state he he played QB and defensive back at Sam Houston State. He comes comes out in 1977 is not in the NFL. Um I think he had a tryout maybe for a week uh with Dallas or something, you know, but He's out of the NFL, and he's just kind of living his life, and ends up playing in a softball league. And now, was it was it your kicker or your, your punter? Yeah, Gerald Wilson, who who was uh, who had punted a long time for the Chiefs when they won the Super Bowl. Anyway, Gerald came to Houston and was our punter, and he came to my dad one day and he said, "Hey, I, I got, there's this guy on our softball team is a really good athlete. We <laughs> you ought to look at him." And of course, Bob said, "Oh well, okay, send him over, you know." And it was Guido, and Guido. I mean, he played wide receiver, he played quarterback, he played he played safety, he played punt returner, and he punted in all in the NFL in an NFL game in his career. Oh, holder. he beat he beat Mel Blunt for a touchdown against Pittsburgh in one of the games we played. He played wide receiver. Uh, yeah, I mean, he ended up playing a ten year career because I mean that just those kind of things just don't happen today. Where the kicker goes over to the head coach and says, "Hey, this guy in my softball league is <laughs> is a really good athlete," and they say, "Yeah, let's take a look at him. Bring him in," you know. And then he ends up playing ten years. Uh, I remember. Talking to the old great DB, uh, Bill Bradley, you know, he was on the team with Vince Papale. He was with, he was teammates with Vince Papale. They made the movie Invincible, but I, I do remember uh, him talking about, he said, uh, you know, Vince Papale, yeah, he was, you know, it's a good story and all that. He said, but they should have made the movie about Guido Merkins. I mean, yeah. I mean Guido had a 10 year career. <laughs> yeah. uh, and really nine years, and then that last. That tenth year was uh, the 1987 strike year when when you were yeah. <laughs> you were in Philadelphia they they brought him in and I know he just got the hell beat out of him playing playing quarterback with a scab I guess offensive yeah. line yeah we had we had a bad bad team we didn't bring back many players that we didn't bring back hardly any players that we had in training camp I mean I, I don't know it was money or whatever so anyway we we ended up getting Guido and so Guido had to play quarterback he had to punt. And, yeah, he got the heck beat out of him. He got sacked ten times in one game. He also punted and got the punt blocked. And and Buddy Ryan on the sideline chewed him out and said, kick it faster, you know. So the next time he tried to kick it faster and the guy hit him before they got the punt off. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, a, a friend of mine uh, named John Lever, who coached in the league a long time, we were playing Chicago in the first – scab game I guess you'd call it or that is what we called it then anyway we were playing in the first game I said John we're we're terrible we don't have anybody he said oh we're terrible too 66 to nothing they beat us 66 to nothing and after the game I said John (laughs) we're really bad and he said yeah y'all are yeah (laughs) 
And before that game, uh, because it was a union deal, the players' union was striking, well, Philly is a big union town. And so before the game, they had 18-wheelers back to front honking their horns going around the stadium where nobody could come in the game. So there was no one at the game. There were no concessionaires. There was no one, zero people at the game. And we had heard that we had heard that you know this was going to happen that they were going to try to do that, so both teams stayed in the stadium the night before, so we could play the game. They they slept in suites and we slept in suites on one side, then the Bears slept in suites on the other side, and then we go down to the dressing room, you know, and get dressed and go out to play, and there's nobody there, no one. I mean, the eeriest. I mean. I see how it was this last year with no fans, but this was this was a no-fan game, the only one I'd ever been around. Well, I can relate because of the COVID and the it, – it looked – and, I, you know, I saw some games on TV as well. And, I mean, besides when you saw the stands, I mean, it, it, it they made it feel like a real game, but – but it, it was pretty eerie just just being there and and you could actually it's almost like being at a high school game you could you could hear opposing team or maybe oh, yeah. junior high even you know you could hear the opposing team getting excited about something and you had to kind of bring your own energy i mean you didn't have it from from anywhere else oh yeah that's for sure but the weird part of that was we stayed in the stadium the night before i mean you know, uh, I don't think anybody's ever done that. No, no. Pro football players putting down a sleeping bag in a suite or something. <laughs> That's what, kind of what I picture there. Uh, you know, one of those guys uh, that was that was sleeping there, maybe one of the, I don't know, you could, you could tell me or not, maybe one of the grittiest players on that team, at least just from the stories I hear is, uh, you know, your center. Carl Mock, uh, who obviously played for for you and Bum, and then and then coached with you at a couple different stops. But uh, Carl, maybe one of the great the great characters. But uh, what what was he like as as a, as a player? Really smart, and and like we talked before, he wasn't a great player, so he, he was able to coach, you know, because he he knew what it took and he knew all the techniques and stuff that could help somebody get better uh, if they didn't have all the ability in the world. Uh, but but he, he was actually a good athlete. Now he he played he played college basketball. Oh wow! At, yeah, and uh, at, at Southern Illinois, and then uh, of course played football. And he went. I think he went to uh, uh, the uh, Dolphins, and then he went to San Diego. And then then my dad was coaching at San Diego. And when he got the Houston job, he he needed a center, and so we, we he got Carl. Yeah. 13 uh, seasons uh, and was drafted another one of these guys you know 13th round one of the you know some of the great videos of, of him uh, he made us made up a song or, or, or you know off of the Wabash cannonball and, and and called it you know made up the lyrics for the the oiler cannonball oh, and, yeah. and, and actually got it I think it was it was Mickey Gilly who recorded it for him. There was there was a story about him singing it on the on one of the plane rides home. Is that is oh that yeah right? yeah oh yeah. He, we had a lot of good. I mean we we won a lot of road games uh, and uh, and of course Earl was the older cannonball. Earl Campbell was our older cannonball, and he made up the all the lyrics and and it was really it was really funny. <laughs> if you know Carl, I mean he's he's a fun guy, but he's. 
he's a real competitor, you know, and I can I can attest to that too. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know the Oilers fans in Texas. They they loved kind of the uh, lyrics uh, when the Super Bowl race is over, when the when those Cowboys finally fall, we'll, we'll carry them back to Houston on the Oiler Cannonball. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, there were there were several songs going around at that time. You know, uh, Kenny Burrow actually had a song as well. But one of the things that a lot of people I think think of uh, from back in that area the, the the pom-poms, the love you blue signs, and and the fight song, the you yeah. know the Houston Oilers number one. Yeah. I will say I I don't think if you look back it it really isn't a debate about who used the tune first. It, right. it was the Dolphins, but uh, but just just. Looking back, uh, the the author apparently he changed the lyrics because he didn't get any credit uh, when Miami used it, and so he wrote uh, you know a different version for the Oilers and, and 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 actually made some profit of it. And at the end of it, you know, Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers number one. And uh, <laughs> and at the end, he said, you know, we're gonna hold the rope, and I I know that was. Bum's Bum's kind of mantra with with the team. Yeah, that, what was said. Yeah, he uh, he told the story about just imagine there's a cliff and you fall off a cliff and the guy throws you a rope. He said the guy that the guy that's hanging there, holding on to the rope. He said you got to hold on like hell, but you also got to depend on the guy at the top to hold on to the rope. Now that was the hold the rope. The players took to it. They kind of kind of a motto, you know. Hey. You know, hold the rope when things are going bad. Both of you got to hold the rope. The guy's hanging hanging off the cliff, and the guy that's up there trying to pull him back up. Uh, that's how that came about. Now, Bum Bum is fi- fired by Bud. I mean, and, and still, I mean, he passed away in 2013. I I still think there's some Houston faithful that still hadn't forgiven him. Uh, <laughs> Do you just, the expectations just keep going up? I mean, you, you go to the AFC Championship twice, you lose the eventual Super, Super Bowl winner, then you go to the divisional round, I believe, and, and lose to the Raiders who win the Super Bowl, yeah. and then you're out. And, and I mean, it was just this special time, this uh, this great group of players, and, and you, you guys had such camaraderie, and then it all it all ends with one, one decision. Yeah, I mean, uh, my dad was different. I mean, he really didn't. I mean, he didn't have any ill will towards anyone or Bud Adams. A lot of people got mad about Bud Adams. Some people went along with it. Some of the press was, hey, you know, they you know, they got beat in the playoffs this year instead of getting to the championship game. They didn't realize that the Raiders were going to win the Super Bowl. But my uh, dad just, uh, you know, he said, I worked every day as hard as I could. And, uh, and he paid me every day that I worked. He didn't have any ill will, which... Uh, which is hard to do. Very hard to do, but some some great memories there. I know great memories for really just the city of Houston as a whole. I mean, there's still people people talking about those times and and uh, you know reminiscing about those times. And yeah, those and the orders weren't very good before he got there. I mean, they they had a history of being really poor teams. Man, they weren't great afterwards. <laughs> so, and then they of course they moved. Bum ended up coaching for five more years in in New Orleans. Was there ever any talk of him at that point? I mean, being such a Texan and having to leave the state, uh, I guess. Uh, I mean, was there? Yeah, the uh, the thing about that was John Meekum hired him, who who's who lives in Houston. And John Meekum was a fan of Bum and the Oilers. Really, he was one of the fans. He he owned the Saints, but he lived in Houston, and he 
He he, in fact, came uh, to our dress to our facility several times. I saw him and cheered us on and said, "Hey, good luck." So I mean, Bum knew him. Uh, in fact, one time we were in a play we were in a playoff game and. He gave him a diamond pen and said, this is for good luck. I mean, uh, so he, he knew John Meekham, and John Meekham was a fan of my dad's and the Oilers. Well, what an era, what a time. I know you've said many times it's really one of the best times of, of your career, and, and, and Mom feels the same way. And, you know, and I, I know there's a lot of Houston fans. Maybe, maybe we'll have a chance uh, at some point, you know, to answer uh, some of their questions about that era. But uh, – it's great hearing some of those old stories. Yeah, it, it was, it was a fun time. It was a unique time, like you said. You know, you hope it happens again, but I don't know if it will. I don't know if it can. That's true. <laughs>